myself, and I'll say that I can, I can make it there with the Lord's help. We'll see how much time we have left. It looks like my um, Adoniram Judson reading went a little long tonight. Philippians chapter 4, reading, beginning in verse 9, reading down through verse number 13. And I know you just sat, but if you're able to stand with me, let's do that for the scripture. Philippians 4, beginning in verse 9, reading down through verse 13. Those things that you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that, I'm sorry, greatly that now at your last care of me has flourished again, in which you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content with it. I know both how to be cast down, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's pray tonight. Brother Rosario, would you pray for us? Amen. You may be seated. Well, we have emphasized this several times since we began our study, but I think it would be good for us to remember where Paul writes from. Is there anyone whose age is 12 or less who can tell me where Paul is writing from? Looking at the youngers. All right, Karis. in his house where he was imprisoned. Okay, that is correct. He was in a hired house, but he was imprisoned there. And what did he have on his wrists? Any other younger uh, ones that want to answer this? What was on Paul's wrists? All right, Emma. Chains. That's right. So Paul writes to the Philippians, and the things that he tells them, he writes from this position. I think this is very helpful and important for us to read these verses with this in mind. Paul writes, and in the past verses we've seen some truths that he gave us about peace. We talked about how prayer is the bridge from anxiety to peace, and prayer is a vital part of attaining peace in the Christian life. Last week we looked at verse 8 where we talked about our thoughts and how our thoughts are a vital piece in achieving peace in the Christian life controlling our thinking, channeling our thinking, filtering our thinking according to the Word of God. Well, in verse 9, which is sort of like the, you might say, the end of the first section of this paragraph, verse 9 says, those things that you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. He says, the God of peace shall be with you. So here Paul gives another important principle for peace. He's talked about prayer. He's talked about meditation. Now he talks about obedience. Obedience. Obedience is also something that brings peace. Paul tells them 
that they are to do certain things. The Christian life starts with knowing, it moves to believing, and then it moves to doing or living, we might say. And Paul says you've got to do certain things. Now listen to the things they have to do. The things that you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. So if you could summarize it, it would be two things. One would be teaching and one would be examples. His Paul's teaching and Paul's example. And this should be true of any preacher or any leader, any teacher, in Bible teacher in a classroom, that we should be able to say, you do the things that I've told you and you do the things that you've seen me do. Um, I mean, is this a good verse for parents? I think this is an excellent verse for parents because regardless of whether you like it or not, your kids will do what they see you do, right? Um, and the problem sometimes arises where they're instructed one thing and then they're told, uh, they're, they're told one thing, but then their example says a different thing, right? And so there's confusion there. Well, Paul sees a harmony between the two here. And he says, the things that I instructed you and the things you saw in me, do those things. Certainly, we ought to live an example sort of life. However, I think there is something a little deeper here for Paul speaking. What I mean is this. Paul was not just a believer. Paul was an apostle. All right, we have a, a good guess from the left side right here. Apostle. Paul was an apostle. And because he was an apostle, he had specific authority. He had specific power given him of God. And he tells these brothers, these Christians, the things that you received of me, you do them. Do you know when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said this, If any man does not acknowledge the things that I write unto you, that they are the commandments of the Lord, he says, then that man is off base. I'm paraphrasing a little bit now. But, but he says, the things that I write to you, they're the commandments of God. These are, these are not just my opinions. And Paul says, I speak to you the, in, under the authority of Christ. This is the commandment of the Lord. So when Paul comes to the Philippians and he says, hey, this is the truth. This is what you need to do. This is not just a preacher. This is also an apostle giving the words of God. When he writes here in Philippians, he is giving them scripture. Right? He is writing to them the words of God. And uh, I just want to emphasize that in the New Testament, we follow apostolic authority as we follow the teaching of the New Testament. If the church at Philippi came to look at our church, if they could be resurrected and they could come in the back door, I hope they would see at least some things where they would say, you know, they're doing the same thing Paul told us to do. They're, they're following the same teachings that Paul taught us. They should be able to do that. And he says, those things that you have both learned and received from me. They learned them and they received them. Now, I, I think you maybe have experienced this at one time or another in your life. Some children or some students learn something, but they don't receive it. Right? They could regurgitate it on a test. They could maybe even give the answer, but they have not received it. And the beautiful thing Paul says is, you've learned it from me and you've received it from me as well. You took it when I was there. You received it, and he says, you do that. You do that. Now, what does this have to do with peace? I'll tell you what it has to do with peace. Peace is found in harmony with truth. 
Truth and peace go together. And you know there are some Christians that think they can live their Christian life with the Prince of Peace and with the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, but they can also hold on to some lies on the side. And you know what that causes is that causes a disharmony in the spirit. I think we could even boil this down even simpler. You as a little child can lie to your mom and dad and they might believe you, right? They might believe you. I remember one time I lied to my parents. I lied to them. And yet, do you know what happened is in my brain, I knew the truth and I knew the lie and they didn't agree with each other. It was like, and you know what I lost? I lost peace because there was truth and a lie and it was in, they were both in my soul and they were fighting with each other and peace was gone. And he says to them, look, you've heard this from me. You've received it from me. Keep doing it. Keep following. Keep obeying. And, and the lie of Satan is to come along and say, oh, you can still have peace and you can do this. You can still have peace and you can go off this way and you don't have to pay attention to that part of the Bible. And, and he seeks to move us off of doing what we've already received, what we've already taken in, what we've already embraced in our souls. So he says, learned and received, and then he does say, heard and seen in me. What do we hear with? Our ears. Some of you are listening, some of you are not, okay? What do we hear with? We hear with our ears. What do we see with? Our eyes, that's right. And to be fully taking in something, you have to be listening, you have to be looking. But I think what Paul is saying is, you saw my life. You saw the example I lived before you. You need to follow in my steps. Verse 10, he goes on to say, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me has flourished again, in which you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. All right, this verse needs a little explanation. It is sort of a new uh, shift. Uh, I'm surprised it's not a new um, paragraph in, in your Bible there. But it, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me has flourished again. Okay, so he talks about care two times in the verse. First he says the word care, and then later he says careful. Um, again, today careful has more the idea of danger, but... The idea is that they were full of care. And he says, now at the last, I'm happy because your care has flourished for me again. And when he says at last, you know, you might be tempted to think Paul kind of has his hand on his hips. He goes, oh, at last, your care has flourished, right? As though he's kind of like finally a little bit of an impatient there. But the, the basic idea is there's no emotion in, in those words or no backhanded dig or anything he's simply unemotionally stating the fact that in the end they did send something to him um, there's no hinge of frustration here okay and so he says i'm rejoicing in the lord greatly because now at at the end of all these things or, or at the final time or the final moment your care of me has flourished again what had happened is the philippians sent money to paul and if you can put yourself in paul's shoes he has been in this hired house of his for some time now and remember how we stated that he had to pay for the home he had to rent it and if there was no rent he would probably end up in the actual prison right and if you had a rented house and you knew if you didn't pay the rent you'd go to prison you'd be thankful when money came in too 
And I can't prove it, but it kind of sounds like he was getting down there, like he was getting down, like maybe the payment was due soon or maybe he had run out of funds in some way. And he says, your care of me has flourished. They came through for him. They met the need. And he says, in which you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. So they had cared for Paul in their heart, but they lacked opportunity. Now, Paul had opportunity to receive it. That was not the issue. They lacked opportunity to give it. And the word care in both of these instances has the root idea of the word goes back to thoughts. And can I just point out that caring for people starts out in your mind, your heart and your mind. And if you never think about someone, it's impossible to say that you care for them, right? These Philippians cared for Paul in that they thought about him and they had concern for his welfare. I believe it means they prayed for him. A care sourced in the thoughts. You know, it's kind of poo-pooed these days, but there is this phrase in English called thoughts and prayers. And some people say, oh, that's not enough. You need more than thoughts and prayers. Well, you can't start and do anything more until you've had thoughts and prayers. Now, perhaps there is more that can be done. Correct. But if there's no thought in the mind and there's no prayer on the lips, other things are a little bit irrelevant, right? So um, in, this big, in the big picture, Paul is simply saying, you've cared for me, you've thought about me, and you wished you could have sent it sooner, you didn't have opportunity, but when the opportunity came, you did send this on to me. Let me remind us all that every need has its answer somewhere, right? Anytime one of God's children is in lack or in need or, or uh, they, they are lacking some item they, they really must have, there is an answer for it somewhere else. So if this Christian needs money, there's another Christian that has money. Or at times, God will use a lost person who has money, right? And so whenever you have a need, I want, I want to just teach you this, that whenever you have a need, remember that there's, there's always an answer somewhere for that need. This even applies to things not relating to money. If you have an emotional need or a spiritual need, a relationship need, there's always an answer somewhere. And Satan wants to kind of isolate you and make you feel alone and, and abandoned, and he'll try to tell you there's no help for this need. There's no way you can find out, uh, get out of this problem. There's no way this need will be met. But Paul says, you were thinking of me, you didn't have opportunity, but you did care, and then when the opportunity came where you had funds, because you were caring, you sent the money over to me, and he is rejoicing in this. I, I want to point out that it's not carnal of Paul to rejoice in this money given to him. It's not wrong of him. In, in, a, in a sense, you know what this is? This is a thank you note. This part of the letter is a thank you note, and he's thanking them for their giving to him. Um, do you know what we call it when, when you, and maybe we could have a child answer this one as well, what do you call it when you feel thankful on the inside? What do you call that feeling? Happy? happy? Well, it might make you happy, but the happiness is its own feeling. There's a feeling that has the idea of, of thankful on the inside. Emma? Joy. Now, man, these are, these are good answers. Happy and joy. Do we have another guess? Gratitude. Okay, that's the word I was looking for. Gratitude. You can feel gratitude in your heart, right? And when, when, when someone gives you something, 
you can feel that feeling of gratitude, but you know what? The other person doesn't know you feel that, do they? That's a feeling inside of you. But when you express your thanks and you say thank you, whether in words or in a written note or in a text message, when you say thank you, you're expressing gratitude to them and they know that you feel gratitude and you are indeed thankful. Paul felt gratitude, but he went further and he wrote this note to them to express his thanks to these giving believers. In verse 11, he says, Not that I speak in respect of need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content with it. I, I think we're going to close and wrap up here. I just don't know that I can finish all of this in the time I have left. But I, I, want, to, I want us to think about this as we think about needs as we close. Paul says, I, I don't want you to think that my needs are not met. But, but he says, I've learned to be content. And as I was thinking about this, is there anyone who would stand tonight and, and, and say, God has not met my needs? Now, we kind of pause, and I think in our hearts we say, I don't think I want to say that. God has not met my needs. But then, we, then may I ask a second question. Has anyone here ever had a need? Yeah. So then let me ask my first question again. Has God ever not met your need? And you know what it is? Is God has not, sometimes in our life we have to say, God has not met my need yet. Yet. Because God brings us to a place of need so he can fulfill the need, right? And, but Paul wants to be clear as he talks about this monetary gift. He says, I don't want you to think that God hasn't met my needs, because he has. But, but another aspect here is just that I've learned to be content. And we'll get into contentment a little bit more, but it is interesting how Paul says, look, you saw my need, you sent, and, and I don't speak specifically as though I had a need. I did, but I didn't. He's almost kind of trying to explain himself. And he says, I've learned to be content. I've learned to be satisfied with where I am. And we'll get more in-depth with that next time. In verse 10, he rejoices in their gift to him. In verse 9, he urges them to do certain things and the God of peace would be with them. Let me return to this theme as we close. Obedience brings its own peace. When we're obedient and we leave that with the Lord, it has the ability to, to cause our souls to be at rest. I remember someone telling me something once, and it was very helpful to me. They said, if you can lay your head on the pillow at the end of the day and say, I have done the will of God today, it brings you great peace and an easy night's sleep. And what they were talking about is this simple truth of obedience. Paul said, I've taught you some things. You received some things from me. He says, you've seen some things in me and you've heard some things in me. You do those things and the God of peace will be with you. Maybe I should ask it this way. Is the God of peace with you? If he's not, you should examine your praying. You should examine your meditation and you should examine your obedience because there is a God 
And He is the God of peace. And the Bible promises us here that if we do His will, that we have the God of peace with us. Are you at peace tonight? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, I don't know the hearts of all those here tonight.